0: Rami Zaid Show, interviewing interesting people so people can learn interesting things. Here is your host, Rami Zaid. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Rami Zaid Show, where I interview interesting people so people can learn interesting things. I hope everyone had a fantastic 2022. And here's to 2023. My guest today is CEO of Higher View And a good friend of mine, Anthony Reynolds. From Canada to Cambridge to Silicon Valley, Anthony has had a hell of a run and he's not stopping anytime soon. We talk business, family, and friendship, and I know you'll enjoy it. Listeners, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Anthony Reynolds. Anthony Reynolds, welcome to the Rami Zayt Show. Hey, Rami. How you doing? I am great. This will be a fun one, my man. For the listeners to know, Anthony is a very good friend of mine. I've known for a long time. His wife, Julie, is awesome. His kids are friends with my kids. And I say all that, Anthony, to say, I feel like that gives me full license to tease you for about the next hour. (laughs) All good. (laughs) All good. This is a very positive show. I know you've heard it before. And thanks for being a listener, too, Anthony. But I want to start with a very serious issue. And I cannot reveal the source of this issue. But Anthony, apparently, you have a shoe fetish that is a big problem.
1: I might know. Apparently,
0: it's bigger than your wife's shoe collection. And I want to know again, I couldn't give the source up, but it's bigger than your wife's shoe collection. (laughs) What is the deal with the shoes? Well, I
1: guess it is partially true. (laughs) It probably started when I was a kid and I got my first pair of Air Jordans. They were the Air Jordan 3s. Oh, I love that. With all the retro shoes coming back my kids fell in love with Air Force Ones and kindled my love for Nikes, Air Jordans. So your source is probably revealing. Obviously, a lot of times with work-related shoes, those are a little different, but not working and I want some comfortable shoes. Yeah, Nikes, Nike Air Jordans. I've been known to buy a pair or two or three or four. How many shoes are in the house? How many pairs How many of shoes pairs do of shoes? I have right now? Yeah, I don't know, maybe 25. I maybe have six pairs of Air Jordans. And if with any luck, maybe there's another pair under the tree. <laughs> Is there a pair out there that you haven't got with Christmas around the corner? Well, I'll tell you those retro Air Jordan 3s in black that I had as a kid. I keep my eyes on them. They're not cheap. If those fell on my
0: doorstep, I would happily wear those. Okay. Well, if Santa is listening to the cast, then, well, hopefully those will be at your doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> good research. Good, a little good, good research. research. Thank you very much. So you mentioned, you know, you being a kid, I know you grew up in Vancouver Island in Canada. I want you to explain a little bit, how was that growing up in Vancouver Island? I think I was very fortunate. The first 18 years of my life, I
1: woke up every morning and I stared out at the ocean, right? Because we lived on the east side of Vancouver Island, which faces the mainland up in Canada. And it's about 20 miles across to the other side or to the mainland. So you see all the mountains and everything. And it's just beautiful. And the thing about growing up on the ocean is that it's always moving. There's always things going on. There's cruise ships, there's boats. To be honest, I really miss it. I miss the beach. I miss those views. But I'll be honest, the place I grew up, is an unincorporated town called Black Creek and I lived at Saratoga Beach and it's a very remote place so to be living now in kind of the heart of the valley in Los Gatos, California it's quite a big change and I often think about that raising kids here versus what my
0: upbringing looked like when I grew up on on Vancouver Island love it I geek out as you know and I pulled a couple of Vancouver Island stats and I want to know okay. if you knew any of these stats here. So number one, you probably know this one. A couple celebrities. I think there's maybe a few more from Vancouver Island. Nelly Furtado, the singer, yeah. and Pamela Anderson. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Are you not, so, cla- are you Pamela- not claiming Pamela?
1: <laughs> Pamela Anderson's from Comox Valley. And yeah, everyone knows Pamela. She's a couple years older than me. I think actually in high school, I maybe had one of her textbooks at one time.
0: Oh, it's so funny. Another one, Vancouver Island is home to the world's biggest hockey stick and puck. Did you know that one? So there's a 205 foot, 61,000 pound hockey stick in Duncan, Vancouver Island in front of the community center. Yeah, they take their hockey pretty serious on Vancouver Island. It
1: almost becomes a rite of passage like growing up there to play hockey. But as a kid, if you don't play hockey by the time you're five or six, you really can't start after that because the kids are so competitive by that time. It's passed you by. You think Little League Baseball here, and I would times it by five. That's kind of the intensity
0: of hockey parents back home on Vancouver Island. Uh, I love that. All right, one more for you. Vancouver Island has the highest concentration of cougars in all North America. And I'm not talking about the girls at the bar last night. I'm talking about actual cougars. (laughs) 4,000 cougars in British Columbia, and 800 of them are in Vancouver Island.
1: It is not unusual as a kid to see cougars, and there are a lot of them. And for people that have never seen a full-grown cougar, they look like a lion that should be in the zoo. And they're not friendly looking. The other stat I would say is there is a lot of bears on Vancouver Island. It's not too hard to go find cougars or bears. And that's just part of
0: growing up. Oh, that's awesome. So obviously, Anthony, accomplished CEO sitting here today. But another rumor I heard back in the day, your sixth grade teacher said you would be lucky to graduate high school. What was that about? What were you like as a kid?
1: Well, I think growing up and going to school, I found it challenging, right? I think I was pretty good on the math side of things, but reading, vocabulary, spelling, comprehension, I was a little delayed there, I'll be honest. And so I had my own challenges. And I I remember on a meet the teacher night where I had this grade six teacher. And I think, you know, one of the things that he just wanted to put in perspective for my parents was like, hey, he's going to be lucky to graduate high school. We're not even thinking about college right now. And to be honest, that stuck with me. And it's been a little bit of a fuel when I got to junior high. So in Canada, junior high is the seventh grade to the ninth grade. And then you go to high school for 10th to 12th. Things started to turn around, but it turned around. And I think everyone has kind of that person in their life as a teacher. And mine was Mr. Booker. He was both... The science teacher, the social studies teacher, he's kind of my homeroom teacher, but he just got me really excited about learning and about reading, things that I had struggled with. And I also could relate to him on a kind of an athletic level because he was also very involved in the school sports programs, volleyball, and other things that I took an interest in. And so I really credit him as someone that kind of got me going in an
0: accelerated fashion once I got to junior high. Well, I think it's kudos to you too. I mean, there would be a lot of people that hear a line like that, meaning, hey, hey, sixth grade kid, you're not going to graduate from high school. You take that as truth and you go down this path of, you know, being bummed out. And like you said, that gave you a little gas to the flame to get you going. So I think, you know, you hear that from athletes of someone's, for lack of a better term, talking shit about them on ESPN. The next day, they go out there and pound them. Um, it sounds like that gave you a little bit of fuel, and that says a lot about you and your personality. Well,
1: and it also started my belief that you're given certain tools in life, but the mental aspect and the mindset is so incredibly powerful. High school, I also had a teacher, and he was the volleyball coach. His name was Dale Pop. And he's just very motivational, but he's also into very much positive thinking. And for people that know me and are in my kind of circle of friends, they know I always see the positive. I always have a little grin on my face, a little smile. I always like to look at the glass half full versus half empty. And when I was young, both in high school and university, I read a lot. I got the bug late, but I read a lot on positive mindset and growth mindset and power that can have not just in life, but in your career and work and also in things that you care about, whether
0: it's relationships or athletics
1: or things like that.
0: Now, was it around that sixth grade time. Anthony, I know that you sold used books and software games. And I think you credit that a little bit to learning about the computer itself. But was it around that same time? And how did you fall into selling books and software games on the island? Yeah. I mean... You almost think about it. If I could have connected those things back
1: then, I could have created Amazon 20 years early. <laughs> have, yeah, in a different conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those are two very independent stories. One of the things that, you know, and I'll start with the computers early on, right? I think I was nine years old. If you look, the, the Commodore 64, I think actually came out in 1982, 1983. And I was one of the first people that I knew that actually got it. And I learned pretty quickly that one of the things you could do on the computer was program things. I took a liking to that you Go and you buy a book on programming and you are able to program games. And I would go and take those games and sell it to kids at school, you know, only to have my mom find out that I had some dollars in cash stashed away. And she made me give it back to everyone because she didn't think that was <laughs> the right thing. great. I'm Canadian, if you will. Yeah, right. The other thing I did when I was young is we kind of live in this beach town and, you know, for 10 months of the year, there isn't a lot of people, but come middle of June, July, and into August, there's actually beautiful beaches and it's actually warm enough. You can go swim in the ocean and stuff. And so there's a lot of these little cottage resorts. And so what I would do is I would go around to some of the neighbors and I'd say, hey, do you have any old pocketbooks? You know, a lot of people in Canada, they read a lot of these pocketbooks. Yeah, sure. Here, you know, and I have my wagon and and they would just give them to me. Well, I would take those home and I had this kind of stand at the end of the driveway and I would just lay out the pocketbooks. And if you know one thing about pocketbooks, sometimes like when someone gets onto an author, they'll read like eight or 10 of them. And so I would stack them all in a line and people, some of these tourists would come by, And I'd be like, hey, you know, 50 cents a book or you can get three for $2. Sometimes I would sit there. Other times I would just put a can at the end. And, you know, people are honest in Canada. They would come take books and put the money in the can. And that was something that, you know, my parents encouraged me to do. And, you know, it kind of helped people clean out their closets with all the paper book. You know, I would sell them to the tourists. But that was, I think also just, you know I was always interested in business. My uncle was an investment advisor, a stockbroker. I started buying stocks when I was in high school because I was interested in it. That's awesome. So that's awesome. a lot of the, the kind of business-minded aspect of where I got it. I think it was just, you know, in my genes and DNA early in life. And then, you know, kind of the computers, because everyone asked me, Well, how did you get into software? and And I
0: really trace it back to, you know, the story I told earlier. That's awesome. I love, you did mention that out here in the States, it's pretty rare that you could have a can out there and people would pop money in, but the people in Canada are so stick and nice that 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 operation works. So good for you. I'm going to get into you going off to college in a second, but... One question, Anthony, it's a staple in all of my podcasts. And this one is how you start your day. Most of the feedback I get post show is a lot of people love hearing how these athletes, entrepreneurs, CEOs like yourself start their day. And would love, Anthony, for you to share a little bit of that for the listener.
1: Yeah. I mean, first off, a lot of people always ask me, like, oh, you know, being a CEO of a software company, you know, it might be pretty stressful. And yes, it is at times. But a lot of people assume that I don't have a great work-life balance, and I actually think I do. I think I have a better work-life balance today than I had 10 years ago. But the one thing that allows that is I'm pretty stringent on my time and how I spend my time. Being on the West Coast of a global company means you have to be an early morning person, right? Because if I wake up late and don't start my day till 9 o'clock, Europe's already gone for dinner. Right. It just does not work. I've just always been an early person. So I like to wake up early and I like to immediately just do a check to see, both professionally and personally, has anything come up over the night from Europe or Asia that needs responding to immediately? The way that I kind of look at my weeks is I'll spend time working on Sunday. I actually send a note to my entire company late sunday night and that's a recap of what happened in the last week and also looking forward but i like to hit mondays with a running start and mondays are always kind of an early morning for me and i have my management and leadership meetings but by wednesday afternoon come 4 30 or 5 o'clock i'm shut down because i've been my mind's been racing since sunday night and so i'm pretty pinnacle on that in terms of, hey, I just shut down Monday at 4.30 or 5 because I need, I need a break or a rest. Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, I like to get up and I try and reserve the time to do some exercise. Sometimes it's going for a walk. Other times it's going for a Peloton or something like that. I would generally say I'm an early morning person. I'm very stringent on my time and how I run my weeks. And I'm very fortunate that I have an assistant who's very good at helping me manage that.
0: And on that time, so that's interesting, the Sunday night to Wednesday night, and then it gets a little looser Thursday, Friday, that Sunday to Wednesday is your calendar just packed and it's packed with everything, not only meetings, calls, but this is when I'm going to have lunch, this is when I'm going to send a note to this person.
1: But let me step you through, right? Like, so Sunday morning, I get up and I just digest all the notes from my leaders on what's been going on in the business, and then I put that away. I go and enjoy Sunday with the family. Sunday night, I craft a note, right, and it'll be a page, page and a half long, and it's written by me. I have a com team, but they don't touch it. The note comes from me, so there's grammar mistakes, there's grammar mistakes but people appreciate it because it's from me. Monday morning, but it also helps me focus on what do I need to get focused for Monday. Look, when you work in a company, there's 450-odd people when you include everyone at view. The one thing for certain is I'll wake up Monday morning, I'll be surprised by something. okay? And so I have a little buffer before I start my leadership meetings at 8.30. But Monday is always a very busy day. So by 4.30 or 5, I'm ready to shut down, do something, have dinner, and enjoy my evening. Tuesday mornings, I like to start early, get some exercise in. But Tuesdays and Thursdays are already... Pretty busy days. Wednesday is always kind of like a full day, just end to end. Thursdays, as I mentioned, is hey, I like to do some exercises in the morning, go as late as I need to. Fridays, we have this thing at Higher View where every second Friday, we do half day Fridays. Okay. But one of the things that I try to do is I try to not send any emails after my lunchtime on Friday. Because if I do that, then people feel like they need to respond to it. I also really don't work Saturdays, right? You know, it's one of those things that I remember when I used to work as a company. I always hated it when I got that email from my boss or my manager Friday afternoon or Saturday morning. I felt compelled I needed to respond to it. And then it would go back and forth. And all of a sudden, it's like it's wrecked your whole weekend. People need a break to relax, recoup.
0: And so that's just how I found my day working. What's interesting about it, and I like it, it looks like you want to stay about a half a day ahead of your company, right? So you're kind of starting traditionally that Sunday night. If you can be a half a day ahead of the company, you're feeling pretty comfortable.
1: You got to hit with a running start because as a leader, leader, you've got to set the pace and you've got to set what's important or you'll just be reacting to everything, right? And that's never, look, sometimes sometimes you're going to be in that spot, but I like to leave from the front. And so I'm very stringent with my time. It requires that I get up early, but I also have kind of this weekly cadence when I'm not traveling. And of course, I do travel a bit less post-COVID, but you know, I would say from August to December
0: this year, I was probably traveling 35, 40% of the time. Right. Thanks for sharing. I want to go back to Vancouver Island where not only did you graduate high school, so for congrats for sticking it to your sixth grade teacher, but you went to the University of British Columbia and then shortly thereafter got your MBA at the University of Cambridge in the UK. So I'm curious, how in the world does a Canuck end up in the UK? Tell us about that journey. I went over to Vancouver.
1: I did a business degree at the University of British Columbia. I went to work for an oil and gas company for two and a half years. And there were some great people there that I really enjoyed working with. But I learned pretty quickly that that was an industry that probably wasn't transforming or innovating. And that company got bought by another oil and gas company. And so I made a little bit of money from that. And so as any wise young person does, they decide to quit their job and go traveling and spend all that money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I, uh, a friend of mine who was working as kind of like an audit accountant, same age, him and I both quit our jobs and we went and traveled through Europe. And so we started in London and, you know, saw Oxford, Cambridge, but we traveled all around Western Europe, you know, Italy, Germany, Spain, France. We got down into Greece and we're in Greece and You know, we took a flight and ended up in Cairo and we took a train from Cairo down to the bottom of Egypt into Aswan, right by the Sudan border. Like we were all over the place, but that was an amazing experience. But coming back from that, I came back to Vancouver and that's when I really followed my passion and got back into software. I spent a couple of years doing that before deciding, hey, I should go back and do my MBA And I knew if I was going to do my master's in business, I wanted to do it outside of North America. Cambridge was the spot and it was just a remarkable experience to go spend a couple of years in Cambridge doing that.
0: And outside of North America on that comment, I guess, why? You just wanted to get out of the States or that trip with your buddy inspired you? Well, what
1: inspired me is how different everything was. You know, I never left North America until I went on this traveling trip when I was you know, if you do the math, 24, I guess. I mean, I remember telling my parents, don't worry, you know, when I land, I'll give you a call, you know, only to land at Heathrow and think about going to find a phone booth. And hey, there's a country code. I, you know, I didn't understand this. I didn't even know how to make it. And then we get there. And it's like, hey, I had to plug something in. And I'm like, Wow it doesn't even have the same outlet i just assumed that would have been the same everywhere right and so you start to pick up on these little things and then culturally when you're backpacking around europe and you're meeting people from all different nationalities you just realize how different the world really is and so for me you know that backpacking trip was as much as a learning trip as it was a fun adventure which it was indeed but i just wanted to expose myself to more of that change and if you've ever been to cambridge it's just an amazing amazing town
0: with so much history and it's a great place to go to school i'm going to get back to business in a second but on that backpacking trip what was your favorite spot of all those places well i really have a great appreciation for italy i've been back many, many,
1: many many times i loved italy obviously i loved cambridge The most eye-opening was probably the trip to Egypt, A, because it was unplanned, but B, you know, it was really my first experience of what life was like in a third world country and some of those experiences. Now, the fun thing is at the time, I had one of the first digital cameras. It was a Sony Mavica, and you took pictures on these little three and a half diskettes. I've lost a lot of things in my life, but I kept those diskettes. And I recently, because I had some time, I took all those diskettes and I transferred them. So I have them all now in digital copy so I can go and look at all these amazing pictures. I have thousands of pictures literally from this
0: trip I took in 1998 across Western Europe. It's- oh, that's so good. That's so good. You come back from Cambridge and I read this before in your words, you're about 28 years old. Now you're broke, and you're yeah. renting a six by eight den from your buddy. How did you get back on your feet, and then how did you end up in Silicon Valley? Because you had this, you know. I'm looking at your career: Crystal Decisions acquired by Business Objects, Business Objects acquired by SAP. A few years later, you're at Altify; they get acquired by Upland Software. Now you're here at Higher View. But before all this happened, you're at BC with no money, great education, no money, great experiences. How did this leap to Silicon Valley take place? So when I was at Crystal
1: Decisions, and I decided to go get my MBA, the CEO of the company actually personally sponsored to pay my tuition. And all he asked on a handshake was that I come back for one year. So I came back to Vancouver to fulfill on that. Pretty amazing guy. His name's Greg Kerfoot. He's a software entrepreneur, and he's just done a lot of things for the community. He keeps a very low profile. He's part owners with Steve Nash and the Vancouver Whitecaps, but an amazing guy. And I can only pay it forward because I could never pay him back for what, what he did for me. But I came back and, you know, as you do, you kind of couch surf and stay with friends for a while. And I had one friend who had just boughten a condo and he had this den and he needed some extra money. And so, as you said, you said it pretty quickly, but I kid you not, it was eight feet by six feet. I had 48 square feet. Uh, <laughs> and for a year and a half, that's kind of where I live. So I learned to live a very minimalist lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, I didn't yeah, have there's money. nowhere for shoes in that place. You can't put no, shoes no, anywhere. <laughs> no. There's not a lot of room for anything, but I had a great job. I was living in a great town and, you know, I was just really excited about life. And so, you know, funny enough, the story is, you know, I saved enough money and I actually bought, this was a big kind of apartment complex. I actually bought the apartment directly below him. Oh, that's so good. Because I loved it so much. I loved the place. (laughs) It was just in a great place and it was a great, after a few years, I was, So I stayed there for about a year and a half. Then I moved out. I rented my own place for a while, saved up. And then I was able to buy a place uh, directly below
0: them, which is, you know, at the time was a good achievement for me. And at what point, Anthony, was the move to Silicon Valley? Because at this point, you've done... yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's 2005. Okay, great. I'm enjoying life. Business objects had acquired crystal decisions. Things are going well. I've got my own plates. I'd actually just met Julie, who's now my wife, and we were dating. And I remember one night I said to her, you know, I've got some good news and some bad news. And she's like, what do you want to hear first? And she's like, the good news. I got this amazing promotion at work. It's amazing. It's so great. She's like so happy. She's like, so what's the bad news about this? And I'm like, well, the job's in California. So I moved to California. It was supposed to be a one-year assignment. And then I got down here and that one year turned into 18 months. And then after that, I just got a great opportunity in business objects. And you know, here we are 17 years later. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't regret any of it. It's been absolutely fantastic. Obviously, Julie moved down here a couple of years later. We got married. We've got two great kids, Carson and Olivia. And now Los Gatos is home. And we just
0: love everything about it. I love that. On a career topic, do you look back, Anthony? Because I, I, I mean, I look at your career at Envy because you've been blessed with being in some good positions at some good companies with some good people around you. And I know that's a testament to who you are and who you surround yourself with. But when you look back at your career, was there some tipping point or major moment for you that you can go back and go, you know what, I'm glad I made this decision because it paved the way for X?
1: Yeah, definitely the move to California. I came down here to be the executive director to the CEO of Business Objects, which at the time was a publicly traded company, and the guy's name was John Schwartz, and that experience was just incredible. I think that job in and of itself helped me leapfrog my career, maybe five to 10 years, but the experience and what I learned from him was just amazing, and he still continues to be a mentor to me today, and nothing but great things to say about everything he did for me, and obviously, today, my family, and getting me set up in Silicon Valley.
0: Love that. Good to hear it. I know you've been heard to say goal setting is important. You talked about positive mindset earlier in the podcast. But on goal setting, because I'm very much a goal setter myself, what are some things that you do, Anthony, both, I'll say personal and work, whichever one you want to pick or both that you feel are valuable? Yeah, I mean,
1: look, the world we live in today, I use this analogy, we play at work and we work at home. And so even within view my current company, we talk a lot about people, both in the context of at a personal level, as well as a professional level. And so I think it's important to have goals in each. And I think the important aspect is also when you write them down, that goal is a contract now that with yourself, right? Right. I was listening to a podcast of the late Kobe Bryant and he talked about the contract he made with himself and that he couldn't break that. And, and so writing down your goals is extremely important. Number one, number two is tell people around you that you trust about those goals because people you trust will hold you accountable to them. Right. And so whatever those goals are and don't be scared to have to change or pivot those goals. Right. Because things change. But look, having goals are better than not having goals. Right. Even if you have to change them. And that's what I tell people all the time. At work, I get people to set, you know, work-related goals. But what I tell them is look, set two or three goals. You know, we've all been in those environments where someone said, Hey, we need to see 10 different goals from you. And it's like, okay, well, that kind of takes the point away. Right. I'm very big on focus right?
0: What are the two or three things you really want to work on and stick to a plan on it? Love that. On positive mindset, you said you used to read a lot on that, or maybe you still do. Is there anything specific you do in that regard, like meditative, or are you continuing to read books on positive mindset? Or Is there something that you're doing, Anthony, you can share with the listeners that may be valuable? Yeah. I mean, look, I still... You
1: know read a lot on it i
0: don't practice
1: meditation i have done aspects of what i would call visualization around things and seeing the future and believing it and rehearsing it and maybe if i'm gonna have to do a keynote i'll rehearse in my mind exactly what that keynote looks like and it'll feel like i've done it a bunch of times before i actually do it so some of that what i would call more visualization i think is important the other thing that I will say is I surround myself with people that are positive. I know the world isn't perfect and there's always times when you know things happen, but I always try and see the positive in it. And I generally enjoy surrounding myself with like-minded people
0: that are generally positive in life. Love that. I think the Canadian helps as well, right? In there that you guys are so stinking nice. I actually... A Canadian fact I hear you can fact check me is if a Canadian apologizes three times the maple fairy brings a hockey puck signed by Rick Marianus. Is that right? Or
1: <laughs> I will tell you, I do wear my heart on my sleeve. Yeah. You know, and I probably say sorry a half dozen times during a day on something. <laughs> and I will tell I, I don't know what it is, but I can walk down a street anywhere in the world. And it's like it's not like I'm a small guy. People will come up to me of all ages and ask me for directions. I must look like the most harmless person in the world. It doesn't matter if I'm in San Francisco or Sydney, Australia. People just feel comfortable being like, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? You know, I get it all the time. And now that I've said it today, I bet I'm going to go out this afternoon and someone's going to ask me. uh, I love it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's so good. Anthony, it's time for some rapid fire. Are yeah, you ready for some I'll fun go. rapid fire stuff for the listeners? Okay. Yeah, let's Number go. one, a walk-up song. Major League Baseball players, and I've had the benefit listeners of coaching Anthony's son, Carson, which, by the way, he's a, a mini-me of you in Little League. But Major League batters, when they go up to the plate, they have a walk-up song, bat in their hand, get them jacked up. Anthony Reynolds, what is your walk-up song? I'm going old school. I'm going right to Thunderstruck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> get the beat going and you're flocking up. Okay. I'm going get excited and motivated about that. Oh, I love it. All right. Second question. And I'm going to take away shoes, which I know is a passion. What is one thing, Anthony, you do not mind spending money on? I would say clothes. Okay. Yeah. I don't buy cheap stuff or stuff that's 50% off.
1: As someone once told me, it's like, how many times do you wear that red sweater? You know, Never. (laughs) Don't buy it because it's 50% off. So I tend to buy good
0: stuff because I think it lasts longer and I think it looks better. So I'll tell you, on, on the shoe topic, going back to that, when I was in B school, I remember my first day of finance class, the professor got up and he said, Listen, I'm going to tell you every which way to save a penny, invest all those things. But he said there's two things you never skimp on. And one is your bed because you're sleeping about a third of your day. And the other is your shoes because yeah. you're on your feet the other two. Yeah. So, and if you that's like your shoes, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. something I don't spend a lot of money on. I don't go to coffee shops and spend a ton of money like every day on like a $5 coffee. I did invest in a very good coffee machine, a Jura coffee machine, which takes fresh beans and makes an awesome cup of coffee. And I just think that investment is worth every penny.
0: Right. But that 5 or $6 latte every day, oh, that's just that's not, not, yeah. Yeah, that's not, not you. Yeah, not you. Got it. All right. Next question, you Anthony. Your favorite quotes, but if there's something that's always carried with you, or do you have a quote as of late, what can you share with the listener?
1: The quote that I use a lot is from a selling perspective. It goes like this. It says, forget your strategy, focus on your customer strategy. Too many times I feel, especially in Silicon Valley, we live in a world where you know someone's trying to sell us features and function speeds or feeds. And what I try and educate our sales and revenue folks on is understand your customer's business problems right and a lot of that is forget your strategy focus on your customer strategy
0: yeah love that one yeah i've called that one in the past show up and throw up no one wants to hear all the stuff that you think matters to you i mean if you're actually selling to somebody it's what matters to them so i love that quote okay next one favorite sport coming from canada i would have a guess but now you've been in the us for 17 years so what would be your favorite sport be I love watching college basketball. I know you thought I was going to say hockey. I I sure did.
1: But no, I love college basketball and the madness that comes in March. I just just love it. And if you want to know two teams, I love
0: Villanova on the East Coast and I like Gonzaga on the West Coast. Love that. As you know, I love my college hoops too. I think March Madness is the best sporting event of the year. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, if you could, Anthony choose a completely different profession position than the one you're in what would it be and why <laughs> I've always said this and people that are close to
1: me and Julia laugh I would be uh, an owner operator of uh, eco Lodge in the northern part of Canada
0: on the west coast where people could just go and experience nature. Wow I did not see that one coming. Well, with the boots and everything. Well, you know what? You're the approachable guy. You already said it. Yeah. (laughs) I like that one. All right. What would you do, Anthony, if you were given a free 60-second advertisement during the Super Bowl? So most Super Bowl commercials are 30 seconds. This is 60. You have 60 seconds. Biggest TV program of the year on the planet. What would you do or say?
1: I guess I would make my case to some of the people that have the resources in the world to help the world do better. Right. It would be from Elon Musk to Jeff Bezos to Bill Gates to all these people. And I know they already do a ton of stuff, but a lot of the things going on in the world today, there's a disproportionate amount of wealth among a closely held group of individuals that I think could help solve a lot of problems and just make
0: the world a better place. So I'd probably appeal to them. Good answer. I'm going to get a call from Elon now because of you, but good answer.
1: (laughs) All right. I mean, he had his his chance to, you know, take $6 billion and solve the food shortage a year or two ago. You remember that, right? And he had the means to do that,
0: but, you know, he decided to go buy Twitter. Yeah, no, I can't disagree with you, man. All right, next one. If you were stranded on an island and could pick any celebrity, dead or alive, to be with you on that island, who would it be and why? Wow, any celebrity. I can see that hamster churning right now,
1: it's good. You know, forget about the celebrity. I have a pretty close relationship with all my family, but the person I never got to meet was my grandpa on my mom's side. He passed away before I was born. And if you give me that one wish, I just
0: like to spend time with him. Why is that? What about him? I guess what you've heard about him makes you say that would be my my answer.
1: I just think you inherit a bunch of traits from, you know, both your parents as well as your grandparents. All the, you know, my three other grandparents, I got to know very well and, you know, love them all dearly. Yeah. Unfortunately, they've, they've passed away, but I feel like I got to know them.
0: But my one grandpa, I never got to know. So I'd like to spend time with him. Nice. All right. Last one. I call this the ultimate dinner, Anthony. That means there's no consequences tomorrow. Whatever meal or meals, I guess, on the table and whatever is in the glass, give us your ultimate dinner. Oh, that one's pretty easy. I would go
1: oyster appetizer, steak and lobster entree. And even though we'd probably started off with some nice champagne, but we would finish it off with,
0: a nice Napa cab. Is there a Napa cab that sticks out to you right now or in the past? (laughs) I mean, there's lots. (laughs) That you can remember. (laughs) Yeah. Alpha Omega is a good
1: one. Quintessa is a good one. A decently drinkable one that I've always just enjoyed has been Silver Oak. I like that. So as one of my uncles always told me is like, Anthony, anyone can go in, you know, pay a couple hundred dollars for a good bottle of wine you know, go find a good one for $30, $40. And so I've been experimenting with that a little bit lately and looking at Italian Barolos, which is a great wine, a little softer to drink. If you listen to this and you have a great Italian
0: Barolo that you would recommend, send it my way. Love that, love that. And so as far as the steak goes, is there a restaurant out there you've been to that's got a steak you'd be like, oh man, that's the one I want? Or is this, you know, you at home on the grill in the backyard? Actually, so we got a great grill in the backyard. You mentioned my son,
1: Carson, who's 12. I've taught him how to cook a steak. He does a fantastic job. I love that. It's not the quantity, it's a quality. So, you know, a real nice filet and he has a whole way to cook it. And yeah, I would say that
0: would be my favorite. Oh, well, next time he's cooking it, I'll come over. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Anthony, it's been a great hour, my man. I knew it would be, like I said, you're a good friend. Is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? Because I know you've already given them probably 10 things to take with them as far as inspiration. But anything you want to leave the listeners with? No, I think, look, you know, be passionate about what you do. Hard work does pay off
1: in the whole thing around positive mindset growth mindset it's been a huge part of my background both professionally and personally and you know i think those are
0: those are things to live by love that thanks again anthony next time i see i'm bringing a barolo over we're going to share that thing (laughs) i love it thanks rami thanks so much for the time all the best Thanks again, listeners, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Anthony Reynolds. You can find Anthony on LinkedIn or at HireVue, that's H-I-R-E-V-U-E dot com. And you can find me at my website, RamyZaid.com, that's R-O-M-Y-Z-E-I-D dot com. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and I hope you all learned something interesting.